still not over that Bears loss. It was that was a real real kick in the nuts, wasn't it? Just like this is the Cash Considerations podcast. We're a Chicago Bulls podcast. I don't know how what like what percentage of our listeners even care about the Bears. The Bulls have such an international fan base. But man, Jason, me and you are both lifelong Chicagoans. This city lives and breathes Bears. My childhood vacations were going to Bears training camp to watch the worst teams ever in the 90s. Practice every summer. I have been so invested in the Bears my entire life, and I cannot remember a game that was that painful. That's like a yeah, all-time it was, pantheon loss. Just, yeah, absolutely. Just, and the way like the Bears... Yeah, the way the Bears lost all year too was just like, uh, like they lost stupid games all year. They lost whatever four. They went twelve and four, and like every game they lost was just Great really fucking stupid, just like goofy stuff. And the Cody Parkey thing, obviously they lit. They for those who somehow missed it, they lost on a double doink. Cody Parkey missed field goal. It was tipped, but still forty two, forty three yard field goal. Got to make it. Don't let it get tipped. Uh, and just like all year, Cody Parkey hit how many damn. Uh, uprights with his kicks and just like and, and i tweeted it literally like the week before a lot of people figured this was gonna I'm like cody park is gonna blow them a playoff game and of course they did against a team that the eagles obviously won the super bowl last year nick Foles, big dick nick all that goofy stuff like the bears were way better than them all season they were home the bears were seven and one at home all year and then they to, just to lose in that fashion is just like just all time like you said all time pantheon bears i will bears remember that loss forever I really will. Yeah. And to me, it wasn't as painful as the 2010 NFC title game against the Packers. Like, Bears-Packers at home for the right to go to the Super Bowl. That game just leveled me as a human being. I was shook, certifiably shook for a while after that one. This one, though, is such a bummer because this season was so awesome. I don't think the Bears had won more than five games in the last five years. Uh, yeah, the John, the John Fox, Fox years were The John Fox era had me giving up football it had me giving up my bears fandom which has been you know something so close to me throughout my entire life i just didn't care about the team didn't watch the games but this year everything just felt so good like everything clicked at the same time Nagy immediately asserted himself as a great coach the cleo mac trade changed everything you also sort of had these young guys like eddie jackson coming into their own kyle fuller making a transformation from you know, a draft bust, one of the better corners in the NFC. Akeem Hicks basically playing like prime Tommy Harris. Leonard Floyd starting to come on at the end of the season. Cohen was just so dynamic, both as a passer and a runner. This team was such a feel-good team from the very start. And I just feel like my this like my skin was burned off me in this game. Like this was just so horrible because it was the only way it was gonna happen, you know. It's like yeah. we all and could have like, seen this coming a mile away. Parky hit the upright four times in one game, right? Or yeah, so it was something like that. It was crazy. Yeah. If he was trying to do that, he could never do it again for the rest of his life, even if you gave him a thousand kicks. But they were playing with fire. Yeah. Like to me, it's not Parky's fault as much as it is Pace's fault for not fixing the problem. It's like when half the fan base, when all the fan base knows it. Now, granted, fans are dumb. Like Parky did, he was a Pro Bowler, I guess. Like you know earlier in his career the bears did give him nine million dollars for a reason in the offseason but this guy was just his confidence was totally gone you could even see on the first kick 
that he came up woefully short on that. It went in, but it was not a good looking kick. It was not a kick that should have given any Bears fan in the stadium any confidence. Oh my god! When when he when was they blew the whistle obviously before he even like went into it, and then he still went through and kicked it. And I was like, oh, that just like you said, he made it, but like it just it, the fact that he did make it, I feel like made me feel worse. But I just figured, oh, he's gonna make the one that doesn't count. He's gonna miss the one that does count. Is this wor- so? I'm a White Sox fan because I'm a good person. But you're a Cubs fan. Is this worse to you than the Bartman game? Because to me, I think it is. I think it's worse than Bartman because it decided no. the game. Bartman no, had, I mean, I mean, I mean, in, ter- in terms of like the, I mean, that entire loss, the Bartman loss was worse than this. Like that individual moment. Obviously, the Bar- Bartman did not cost him the game. There was so much stuff that happened afterwards. So like. Like that, the, the fact that they complete the Cubs completely melted down after the Bartman thing, obviously just made it completely worse. And then they lost Game Seven as well. So like, obviously Bartman did not lose them. I mean, you could he played a role in it, but he did not directly lose them. That so like, if that's where you're going at, sure, I guess. But like in terms of like the crushing defeat of that Cubs series in 03 was definitely worse than yesterday. It didn't help that I, also I was or 15 years old and like way more emotional about sports back then. So like I was like bu- really bummed out last night. I was a little drunk. And then, like, I woke up this morning, still annoyed, but like, oh, whatever, I'm over it. It's a football game. Like, it obviously sucks. They did not, the Bears, Bears team did not deserve to lose like that. That, like, whole, like, the Cubs choke job, but just, like, was a complete killer for a, for a long yeah. time. I would say I'm still so, not uh, over this Bears loss. And for even hours after the game, I just felt like something inside of me that I don't ever feel anymore about sports, just like a deep, fucking pain sports pain which congrats to the bears for even awakening that in me because i have not felt that in a long long time maybe since 2010 bears packers maybe since uh lebron hit that corner three when the bulls are up two to one on the Cavs in the playoffs oh, yeah. we're talking about all-time painful bulls losses when blatt originally drew up a play having lebron inbound it just classic stuff right there uh but geez man it's like my insides got ripped out watching that shit that was tough. And obviously, we'll talk about the Bulls in here, but like the Bulls, like you mentioned, like the LeBron thing, like we've had like so little, like just like like with the Bulls, just the apathy has set in so much. So it was like to have, and obviously, I, I dealt with the Cubs. I dealt with the Cubs in the last couple of years, but like in terms of like the Bulls specifically, they're just like we haven't had really anything to like really care about or worry about. They were in the playoffs a few years ago, but as like an eight seed, we all hated My that team. team. Trash like you mentioned, at least you have like, the Cubs. Yeah. I haven't been invested in a good sports team in so long. Yeah, yeah, the Cubs have saved me. Although, like, the Cubs also bring like plenty of angst as well. Even though as as a uh, as good as as good as they've been, just dealing with playoff angst can really get to me. And I guess like just like with the Bears thing, there's just tons of angst. And like, I I kind of do miss that with the Bulls though. Like, that's what we want. Obviously, we want them to be good. I'm I'm missing. I'm just like missing having that just the intensity of playoff stuff and all that all that fun stuff. So, but when it, when they do lose. It is br- it is absolutely brutal as we saw it felt last night. It was an absolute Bears fucking will be killer. Back, though. I mean, the Bears are they're set up for the future. I, obviously, you know nothing's guaranteed. Trubisky or Mac could get hurt next year, and you know week one, and it's all over before it starts. But the Bears will be back. So now let's shift to a more uplifting subject. That's the Chicago Bulls. We're cash considerations. It's a Bulls podcast. We're brought to you by the Blue Wire Network, which has NBA podcasts. Covering the entire league, the Blue Wire Network is just loaded with talent. I think Jason and I feel really honored to even be part of it. So uh, we should start off this Bulls podcast, Jason, with what? 
there's so much to talk about. We have the just holiday trade. We have Penny Carter. I mean, with, with well, I mean, so first of all, aren't we are the cash considerations podcast? The Bulls made a trade today, uh, or last night, whatever you want. Or, uh, they made a trade with the Rockets for cash considerations. Uh, it involved Michael Carter Williams, and when the when the trade first came across. Uh, and I saw that the Rockets were trading Michael Carter Williams to the Bulls. I was like, "What in the hell is going on here?" Like, Michael Carter Williams is easily my least favorite Bull of all time, just to watch. Like, obviously, nothing personal against him, but just his game. It is just, and he's just bad. Like, he was Rookie of the Year, whatever, how long time ago? And to see to see that trade come across, I was like, "What is going on here?" Obviously, that was a rushed reaction. The trade was basically a whole bunch of nothing. It was two teams doing a favor for each other. Was Michael Carter Williams and cash considerations about one million. Adrian Wojnarowski reported reported one million cash considerations uh, to the Bulls for a heavily protected 2020 second round draft pick that will probably not be conveyed. So it was basically a fake draft pick. So it was basically I said the Bulls are doing the Rockets a favor by taking MCW off. Uh, he was supposed to be guaranteed his contract today. They were taking him off the Rockets' hands, to save them some luxury tax. Meanwhile, uh, the Rockets then send some cash considerations to the Bulls. So they can help pay off MCW, and I believe also help pay off Marshawn Brooks, who we will also talk about. That they got Marshawn Brooks in another trade for the Justin Allen trade. We will talk about that more. So it's basically just a straight up financial trade, which is like absolutely perfect considering cash, cash considerations. considerations. That's that's what are we are coming through for us. Every time I feel like the Bulls might turn the corner, they don't. But I want to say that I thought the reaction to this trade was so funny because. I got the text alert from Woj. It said the Bulls had acquired Michael Carter-Williams. At no point did it cross my mind that Michael Carter-Williams would actually play a game for the Bulls. Like, I knew immediately that there was, you know, that this was going to be something. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I jumped to conclusions. And the reaction, I swear to God, I got like five texts before I could even like look at the actual tweet. Like, Bulls fans are just so on edge right now, and it speaks to the place that this front office has put the fan base in, where we're just so ready to be pissed about anything. This trade was nothing to be pissed off about. Yeah. It's like I said, literally just a, like a little... I feel like Casey Johnson put... I, I think he put it well. He was like referring to it as basically like bookkeeping, basically. Just like these little financial moves where, the, like I said, the Bulls are helping the Rockets out by getting MCW off their hands, save them like $2.6 million in luxury tax, and the Rockets help the Bulls out by sending them cash and helping them deal with waving these guys. So like literally just like the smallest bookkeeping moves, financial stuff. Like it's it literally has like no, no bearing on absolutely anything. So like, but still just like the fact that what it is, just the fact that it is cash considerations is absolutely just perfect. Because, yeah. Because of our so podcast. Way to go bulls. Uh, that was the second trade they've made. Yes, let's talk about the first trade because the first trade actually was something, uh, and actually it was a, I would say a good move. Like we we do like to shit on the Bulls around here. We dunk on the, on the front office all the time as much as we can when it's warranted. But we will say good things when it's warranted. We will we're straight shooters. We're not going to completely rip them for everything. If they do good things, we will uh, do uh, say that they did good things and they did a good thing by last week trading Justin Holiday finally. And it was funny we recorded. Uh, I think this was Friday. I think the trade happened and we recorded or it was either Thursday or Friday. And we recorded like the afternoon a few hours before the trade dropped. And like we had talked about it right at the end of it, like they need to trade Justin Holiday, blah, 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 blah. And then like several hours later, they pulled off the trade and it was and it was pretty good. They traded Justin Holiday to the Memphis Grizzlies. They got a couple sec- second round draft picks back, which the Bulls, we know they'll have to throw draft pick, second round picks around like crazy. So they get a couple back. 
was was great. Uh, they got Marshawn Brooks, who they just waived today. They got Wayne Selden, who will was going to stick around. Uh, I know Selden what hadn't been playing very well this year. He did shoot, I believe, over forty percent from three in some limited minutes last year. I would assume you probably are a bit more familiar with him from his days at Kansas, correct? Yeah, I basically only know about Wayne Selden from his Kansas days. He was a McDonald's All-American out of high school. He ended up playing on the same Kansas team as Wiggins and Embiid. They all came together in the same freshman class. Selden, there was a point when I was doing draft coverage for Espination.com that I projected Selden at the start of that year to be a lottery pick. I thought that he was going to end up being a really good player just because you look at his game. He's got the size at 6'5". He's got the strength. He could stroke it a little bit. He was good going to the basket. I thought, you know, when Wiggins and Embiid bounced, he would really be able to take off. Uh, Instead, that didn't totally happen for him. He was a good player for Kansas. He was never a stud. Uh, So I believe he went undrafted, right? Uh, That sounds about right. I should really know this, but yeah. So he he was undrafted. Uh, He was pretty good last year for Memphis, though, in... In his time, I mean, he played 35 games. He shot 40% from three on 3.5 attempts per game. Uh, played, you know, some decent defense. He's he's just got a big frame. Only 24 years old, 6'5", 230. Uh, I'm totally fine with taking a flyer on Selden, and I feel like it's going to be him and Alkins. They're probably going to be competing for, like, one round spot because both those guys have a pretty similar pedigree. They were both McDonald's All-Americans. Both went to huge programs. Raleigh Alkins coming out of... Arizona. Uh, Elkins has spent time with the Bulls G League team as an undrafted free agent. Selden now entering the mix. He's a little bit older. Uh, I'm totally fine with those two guys just battling it out because they do have some talent. Uh, and really, I think it's going to come down to like which one turns into the most dogged defender and whose three point stroke is the most real. Like this year, Selden had only played, you know, 32 games, 14 minutes a game, not much, but his three point stroke went down from 40 last year to 31 this year. So, uh, you know, the free throw percentage... It's really small sample size. Small sample size, for sure. He's still hitting 76% of his free throws, which is even better than it was a year ago. Uh, I I like Selden's game. I think that's a good flyer for the Bulls to take and to get two second-rounders for Holiday. I thought that was a really good move for the Bulls. I mean, it's not something that really moves the needle, but especially people like us that are so negative, uh, credit where credit to do. Like, the Bulls held out. We, we complained on this podcast for so long about trading Holiday. I never thought they would have got two second rounders for him, and they did it. So, you know, good job, Bulls. Your patience paid off. Props. Yeah, the sec- the I was kind of hoping after the uh, the Cavs traded Corver to the Jazz, it was like two second rounders and and uh, Alec Burks. And I was basically, I thought that kind of possibly set the market for the Bulls for trading Holiday because it's something we knew that they had they had to do. Holiday's expiring contract cheap deal like they're just a guy easy to trade guy like him uh like three and d type guy i know he's been slumping big time and he's started really poorly with memphis as well the slump has carried over but like theoretically three and d guy like that's a guy that you have you, you can get something for him so i was hoping that they could match that basically what the uh Cavs did with corver and they did it they got the two second round picks they did they get a chance on a younger guy in wayne selden and and we'll see how it works out i mean selden may, may not turn in anything We'll see what happens with the second round picks, but like for a guy in Holiday who wasn't going to be around, it makes sense that move had to be made. It's a good move, and uh, I guess and I guess we'll, we'll see if they're done. Like the, they've talked about how they're still shopping Robin Lopez, they're still shopping Jabari. We did see Jabari play uh, against 
against the Pacers. It was it was not pretty at all. We'll talk about more in that game in a little bit, but Parker's minutes were not good naturally. And then he went back to the bench with Bobby Portis back. He was back out of the rotation. So they're still trying to work on other trades. I'm not as confident that they will be able to trade Rolo or Jabardis because their contracts are much bigger. They're not theoretically as useful as a guy as Justin Holiday is. But uh, the fact that they did get this Holiday deal done just alone, like get those couple second round picks, get a few assets for him. Good deal, Bulls, like you said. So th- this this is like one, a one in a million thing. We say really good things about the gold Bulls Bulls uh, front office by saying they they nailed well, the Justin Holiday trade. Let's talk trade. about these recent games too, because there's been two games uh, since yeah. we last recorded. On Friday, January 4th, one of the games of the year, the Bulls lose 119-116 to Indiana at home. They followed that up on Sunday in a 2.30 game that tipped off about 30 minutes before the Bears game. They lose to the Nets 117-100. I want to talk about the Indiana game because uh, that game put the seed in my mind where I was like, maybe this team is fun. Like, maybe this could work. <laughs> maybe this could be okay. I mean, still, you know, they're going to need a little bit of luck. Uh, but there's a there is a way in which the the Bulls can pull off this rebuild, and then you're looking at everything. You're like, well, you know, Paxson was able to make the Jimmy Butler trade because he didn't have to worry about his job, so he could do what was best for the long term future of the franchise instead of a short term fix. It's like everything changes. This works out, and me specifically, I feel like I could look really bad <laughs> in all this. Like. There is a chance if the Bulls get Zion, and I think Zion oh, yeah, is I mean, going to be yeah, a total stud, as we've talked about in this podcast every year. It's only a 10% chance, but man, if they get him, I feel like this current team is really going to complement him well because that Pacers game was a perfect distillation of what this young core can be. Let's start off with Chris Dunn. Chris Dunn played arguably the best game of his career, 16 points on 6-9 shooting, 17 assists, a new career high, 5 boards, Dunn was everywhere. Uh, I thought that that was the best vision I've ever seen him show. He hit Markinen for multiple three-pointers in that game. He was feeding Levine. Him and Levine were actually complimenting each other, which is something that you know me and you have been talking about throughout the existence of this podcast. Can those two guys actually play together long-term? They both like the ball in their hands. Neither of them has you know, that impressive a vision, I would say Levine is probably average to below average. Dunn maybe average to slightly yeah. above average. But for Dunn, the needle's pointing up because he has played really well in these last couple games. I will talk about the Nets game later, but, uh, you know, that was Chris Dunn just doing what he can do. He was actually seeing the full court. He was making the defense react to him and then making the quick pass uh, to set up the offense. So, you know, so many of the Bulls' young players played well in that game. Levine, 17 points in the first quarter, gets into foul trouble. I don't think he scored again until the fourth. Yeah, he had a, yeah, he had a really strange game. Because he was absolutely on fire, just making all of his jumpers in that first quarter. Uh, and then, yeah, he got into some foul trouble, and then he did, like, you just didn't hear from him. He was basically invisible. And then at the end of the game and in the fourth quarter, he just absolutely went off again. And that's what he's that's what he basically can do just the microwave scoring like that. He can just get hot in an instant and he went absolutely nuts. And you talk about Chris Dunn and Levine just kind of, they played well together and just that first half in general, like the, the first quarter, the first half was just like a whole bunch of fun. Like they were playing really well offensively. And one of the things we've talked about a lot is, is pushing the pace a bit more, opening up the offense. I mean, they started the game with Levine scoring all those points, all those on hitting threes. I think Lowry had a couple threes in the first couple minutes. They pushed pace in the first half as well. Uh, 
I, I can't remember what exactly it was, but I know in the first half, like the main starters had something like a 102, 103, 104, something like that in the low 100s pace for uh, per 48 minutes, which is really, really good. Like they don't necessarily have to play that fast all the time, but like that's what these guys can do. When you have these young guys who can get out and run a bit and shoot threes, like that's what we saw in that first half and they played really well. And then in the second half, which obviously the game was still awesome. It was still really fun in the second half, but things did slow down a lot in the second half. The pace just turned all the way down, which naturally that does happen in second halves of games. Guys get tired. Defenses lock in a bit more. The game slows down, but it slowed way down. I mean, 42 minutes for Mark and 43 for Carter coming off the game where he played 13 minutes against the Magic. That's such like a fucking high school coach thing to do. Like you pull the guy one game and don't play him. And then like you run his ass into the fucking ground the next game, 43 minutes for Carter. But Hey, at least he was out there. So yeah, the offense kind of bogged down a bit. They got saved by just, just insane shot making. You mentioned Chris Dunn. Chris Dunn had two three pointers. Doesn't shoot threes that often. And we're going to talk about that more later as well. Doesn't shoot threes that often. He had two huge threes in the fourth. Levine hit the two huge threes in the final minute. They hit three threes total like the last 30 seconds of the game. Levine had two. Dunn hit one. All just comp- really high difficulty shots. And then the fourth quarter again. Uh, uh, I think Lowry hit a really tough three. Chris Dunn dunked on Miles Turner. Uh, and then, obviously, Victor Oladipo won the game on an absolutely insane banked three-pointer. Just like the shot making in that game was outrageous. It was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and then Levine hit another one, but it was late, and I think he was out of bounds as well. Just like it was just absolutely crazy. Just like the back and forths, the shot making that game. But just like you said, like we were saying, just like we saw the flashes of it of how it could work. Like they push pace, they shoot a few more threes. I think they shot something like twenty-eight threes which was, I, I think, the most under Boylan. If it wasn't the most, it was towards the top. Obviously, they did have the extra five minutes to get off those shots, but like Levine, I think Levine and Lowry both took like nine threes that game, and that's what they should be doing. Like Those dudes can shoot the hell out of the ball. Like They should be taking – we mentioned, I think, on, this on the last podcast. They should be taking seven, eight, nine threes a game. Like When you're that good of shooters, you should be creating looks for those guys to shoot a bunch of threes. Obviously, we don't want them – they don't necessarily have to be chucking bad threes all the time, but – with the way they play, the way Levine can get his shot basically whenever he wants, With if you do pick and rolls with Dunn and Lowry, you do pick and rolls with Levine and Lowry, you should be able to create good, efficient three-point shots and, and also get good shots at the rim. And like we we saw that for a bit in the Pacers game, and it was just a ton of fun. Like I said, all those guys played well. Levine played great. Lowry had like 27. Dunn, you mentioned maybe the best game of his career. Wendell, in those big minutes, played really well. He outplayed Miles Turner. I know Miles Turner had had the mask. It was first game after he broke his nose. Tough matchup for him, but he did hit a big three. But like all four core Bulls guys played really well. The, the Bull starters beat or pretty much outplayed a really good Pacers team. The Pacers are one of the best teams in the East, and the Bull starters basically outplayed them. So like so for like a fleeting game, maybe just a fleeting game, we saw them what this could be if the, if uh, the rebuild works. Sadly though, if the ne- in the very next game we saw just the complete ugly and like. The, the complete ugliness of it, which it, I, I guess it also kind of goes back to that Magic game. We have this one awesome game against a great opponent against the Pacers, sandwiched in between just maybe two of the two of the worst showings of the year. Maybe not the obviously the Celtics game is up there, and there have been a few other blowouts. But like the the fact that the Bulls followed up that great performance against the Pacers with a, with just a dog shit game against the Nets, like they they started terribly. It was an awful start. I know the the two two thirty starts. It can always be kind of tough, and obviously on a on a day where the Bears were the big thing in the city, like probably not a lot of energy at the United Center. I watched like, the first half, 
And it was competitive after the Bulls came back. And then the Nets ran them out of the gym, hitting six, 16 three-pointers. So like it was just it was just kind of a, it was just a huge bummer to not to see them follow up such a great performance with another dud. It was and it was like everything that we've been complaining about Portland for like we had one game of salvation where we're like yeah pushing you know pushing the pace uh, sharing the ball like that looks like a modern offense. The Bulls took twenty eight three pointers in that Pacers game, which still isn't a ton. Like they should really be shooting forty fucking three pointers every game, right? I, I I don't think they can get that many. Just because I don't think they have enough shooting. Like I was trying, I was doing this in my head the other day. Like if you if you get Levine and Lowry to be at like eight or nine a game, like whatever. So that's almost twenty. Uh, but then like Wendell is still hesitant. You want him taking like a couple. Hutch isn't going to be shooting threes. You want to get him to start taking more threes, but like right now he's not going to be shooting that many. Done. You need Dunn to take a few more. And again, we'll talk about this a bit more. Like he needs to take a few more. And then off the bench, like Harrison's not going to shoot threes. I guess with Portis, he can get up a bunch of threes per game. I mean, he's not the greatest three-point shooter, so they need uh, they need to get they definitely need to t- take more threes. And that's and that's some, something something uh, that was kind of a big theme a- after the game, like you mentioned. Uh, the Nets, I believe, got up forty-six threes and hit and hit sixteen. The Bulls took like eighteen. So like the Nets took what almost thirty more threes than the Bulls. So, like not that I, like I said, I not that threes are everything, but it's like it's just it's. It's basic math at this point. Where with teams that are going to be gunning threes, with some with some of these teams that that's part of their identity, that's part of the Nets' identity. They love to take a lot of threes. Sometimes they're not going to fall, but like just the pure volume of them. Like if you make even a decent percentage, and you're outscoring teams, just the three is better is better than two. And just like the Bulls are just so far behind on that. With in this Nets game and just in general, they're still they're, they're dead last in threes under Boylan attempted. They're taking like twenty two or twenty three a game which is really low. They don't take free throws either. So like they're not getting points from three or the line. And that just, that's just a big problem. And Portis said it after the game too. He's like, look at the box score. We beat them in everything except, you know, they made 16 threes and we made seven And the bulls made 39% of those attempts. They took that game and no one really went off. Portis went three for four. He was the best on the team in that Brooklyn game. Uh, but the sheer volume that Brooklyn got up from three-point range, you look at D'Angelo Russell, he took 14 in that game. He went 6 of 14. He also had Shabazz Napier take 9 and DeAndre Carroll take 8. It's like that determined the game. Like The Bulls whooped their ass in every other statistical category, basically. The Nets did have more assists. They had 29 assists to 20 for the Bulls. But you know that, that's what determined the game right there, was Brooklyn being able to get up threes and the Bulls not being able to do it. And what was really frustrating about it was Jim Boylan's comments after the game. Do you have those prepared? Yeah, I, I do. Uh, if you want me to go into that. Yeah, so like, so Levine, Zach Levine had a really nice game. He had 27 points. He was efficient. Uh, he only took – did he take and make both threes? I think he only took two threes. Let me pull up the exact – either way, he did not take many threes. And Boylan was like really stoked about it. The fact that he got 27 points with like out doing anything from the three-point line. So the exact quote – this is from Darnell Mayberry at The Athletic. We, we use a lot of his stuff. Shout out to him. This is his like nuggets from after the game. So it was, we'll start with, it was how Boylan answered questions about the offense, Levine's performance, and the three-point shooting discrepancy, discrepancy that raised my eyebrows. He started his post, post-game statement by, ask, statement by asking the final tally in the battle of paint points. He didn't have his glasses, so the tiny numbers printed at the bottom left of the stat sheet resting atop the dais in front of Boylan didn't mean anything. He couldn't see it. So the, the Bulls won 62-46 points in the paint. I think we could have 80 if we could finish better. We'll work on that and keep growing. So then comes Zach Levine. 
or quote unquote, I'm proud of Zach Levine, Boylan said. He got 27 points on two threes. That's, to me, who he's got to be. Drive that ball and attack, attack. Hopefully we can get some free throws as we go forward for him. But I love that. 27 on two threes. That's who I wanted to be as a driver and aggressive downhill guy. And finally, Darnell followed up and asked, is there a number threes you'd like the Bulls to average? We haven't talked about a number. Take your open shots, but we're focused on trying to get the ball downhill, trying to drive the ball, trying to get paint shots, and then spray out for open shots. And Darnell even and finishes off by him, him, his own observation saying that he think that's he thinks that's really troubling. And I absolutely agree. Like Zach Levine is a great shooter. Um, his his number his shooting numbers aren't that great this season. I think he's at like thirty five percent around league average. But part of that is degree of difficulty and just like the pure like just the the usage he's had. It's been really tough. He's had some injuries. We've seen the last couple, like we saw the Pacers game. He can make really tough shots. He can get three-pointers whenever he wants. Obviously, he can also get to the basket a lot, which is great. Him driving is awesome. Like, he should be getting the basket a lot, also getting the line a lot. That's a huge thing. But, like, this is something else I commented in Bloggable as well. Uh, While Zach Levine is not James Harden, obviously. James Harden is arguably the best offense player in the NBA right now. But he should have – I feel like Zach Levine should have a similar – shot profile is James Harden as a guy who literally jacks whatever like not again nine ten threes a game and then does the rest just going to the basket getting fouls and finishing layups Levine is a great finisher he's been drawing fouls pretty well this season so that and then he should be taking a bunch of threes because he's good at shooting them and three is greater than two so like Boylan is talking and is pushing him out of shooting threes like I feel like that's just a huge mistake and it's not just him, it's the whole team. Mark wrote a great article at Bloggable today. Headline, the Bulls aren't shooting enough threes and it costs them dearly against the Nets. Uh, Mark's been doing great coverage for the Bulls, both of his podcast, Bulls HQ, and writing on Bloggable. So make sure you're following him uh, in everything he's writing. He put a chart in this story that the entire team has seen their three-point, you know, their percentage of three-pointers uh, per field goal attempt has dropped off everyone on the entire team. So clearly it's been something that Boylan has stressed. Uh, He's been talking from the beginning about wanting to get back to the basics. Uh, He also talks about getting jacked and juiced when the shots go in. Well, guess what, dude? The shots aren't going to go in if you don't take them. So if you want your team to get jacked and juiced, fire away from three, man. The Bulls have some of the personnel to do it. I want to see Wendell take more, too. Because I think that in the prime of his career, that shot's going to be a weapon for him. Maybe that's something he needs to work on in the summer, develop it over a few seasons. Uh, but he always shot the ball well. Actually, the first shot I ever saw Wendell Carter take in his basketball playing career, he was a high school junior going into his junior year on the AAU circuit playing for the Georgia Stars. He stepped into a three and ripped it. So he's always had like you know some comfortable shooting touch. I think the Bulls should try to develop that a little bit more. Uh, in like Dunn too. Dunn needs oh, to be yeah. confident in that three point. Yeah, shot. I was I was just gonna talk about him. Make or break his career because he's he's been playing well. There's he's definitely gonna be a ten year NBA veteran. Uh, I think no doubt about it. But it's like he's he's a good player, but there's a difference between like being a decent like a good player, whatever, like a nice player, good player, like a decent NBA point guard, and then taking it to the next level, like. Like and in that article you mentioned from Mark, he used several clips of Dunn just turning down three pointers that an NBA point guard should not be turning down. Like getting the ball in catch and shoot situations where he just doesn't, just he just hesitates or he just doesn't shoot it. And like I, I have to think some of that is the coaching because like I said, Dunn didn't shoot that well from three last year. He didn't take that many, but he did take like three a game. And and the fact that now he's just like barely like he's hesitating to even take wide open looks on shots that are like are 
easy like decision three pointers like shots you absolutely have to take if you're a guard in the nba like it's, it's it, they just he just has to be taking them like we're not asking him to get up shots like levine and or get up three pointers like levine and Lowry. he's just not good enough to do that but like if he can hit catch and open catch and shoot threes three or four take three or four every night and he hits 34 35 percent that's good i mean again just do the math if you're hitting 34 35 percent on three-point shots that's basically one what is that like 1.05 uh like or one yeah something like that 1.05 1.1 like points uh per shot to match that another on, on two-point shots you have to hit over 50 percent so like I'd rather, much rather have him shooting open threes instead of dribbling into tough mid-range jumpers. As good as he is at mid-range jumpers, you have to shoot over 50% on those jumpers to match what you would be shooting from three, If even if you're only shooting 34 35%. So that's just something he's got to get in the habit of doing. And like right now, it just seems like it's, I have to feel like it's being coached out of him. It just, it just seems that way, the way, he, the way he's been so hesitant. Uh, I tweeted this before the game against Indiana on Friday. That was the first time all year the Bulls have run the lineup of Dunn, Levine, Hutchison, Markinen, Carter. The first time they've taken the floor together all year. So I think the one thing that is kind of exciting about the rest of this season is barring injury, that's going to be the starting lineup the Bulls are rolling with. Uh, and it will be kind of fun to watch those guys play together. I mean, I don't know if the Bulls are going to ruin their tank chances this way. Even in a best-case scenario, they're probably still going to enter the lottery with the fifth best odds, most likely, just because there does seem to be uh, a little bit of a gap there. The Hawks, they're fifth right now. They have 12 wins, and the Wizards have 16 wins. So right now the Bulls sit at, three, at third overall with 10 wins. Uh, you know, I mean, the Bulls are looking pretty good probably for fifth. Like I feel like they'd have to really turn things around to get much worse than fifth or sixth. And another team, maybe some of these other teams ahead of them really fall off. But like, especially with the schedule coming up, like the Bulls are in a situation right now where they're going on the road out west for five games, and that's they could easily lose five, all five. They maybe they go one and four. Like they're star- right now, they're ten and thirty. They're staring down probably realistically maybe like an eleven and thirty-four record, or even if they lose all five, ten and thirty-five record after forty-five games. Like it would be they're looking unless they really surprise us on this road trip. Obviously, the schedule will will get a little easier after that. But I mean, we've. We just saw them get blown out by the Magic and the Nets, so I mean, maybe it's maybe it's not that easy. So like, but depending on how this road trip goes, like they could really be in a deep hole where it, they probably are in a pretty good sp- uh, place to get no worse than fifth in the lottery, which I feel like is what we, we should be kind of hoping for. Is we want to see more games like the Pacers game where they're really competitive against good, these good teams and they play the more exciting brand of basketball that we're hoping for. They execute well, do all that stuff like that, but they lose enough where they're still able to get. Wait, what's that? top five at least and maybe they end up still losing it up enough to get to into the top three and maybe getting some lottery like i would they're not going to be worse than like the Cavs are an absolute joke the Cavs have lost five straight home games for like 20 points they are by far the worst everything you need yeah they just signed campaign unbelievable which i guess are I, i we didn't even mention the campaign part of the justin holiday trade r.i.p to campaign's bulls career Shout out to the campaign game when he hit six straight threes and it's seven total. Like and now the the Cavs know. I guess they really know how to tank because they're they're absolute joke. And now they're signing him campaign to a ten day contract to somehow get even worse. I guess. But we got to talk about this. Actually, what was your favorite moment of the campaign era? I mean, there obviously have been some great uh, things on the sidelines of him uh, just like dancing around and doing goofy stuff. He uh, there was also the. 
when he was like injured and he had that was that like scooter. again meet would hit that media day when he was riding around like on a yeah. scooter he had the scooter that's what i was gonna say yeah I and mean, obviously i guess i'm sorry campaign seems like a good guy but that yeah i'm sure finding image that's gonna stick with me yeah i'm sure i'm sure he's he's a good guy he's just a very bad basketball player like we were really harsh on campaign early this year and at the, after a while it's just like it's low-hanging fruit How you don't want to tweet just, though like, the the praise hands emoji. oh yeah amazing so did he did he delete that? I feel like it got deleted, but then it wasn't. Should have left it up. I loved that tweet. Bulls fans loved that tweet. Honestly, that was that was probably the high point of his career. Was the hands up emoji after getting cut? That was beautiful. I mean, I get and good for him for I guess for getting even though it's only a ten day contract. I guess good enough, good for him for getting another contract because I t- did not think any NBA team would give him even a ten day. But so I guess I guess good for campaign. He's out. He's out of the Bulls mess and now. He's into the Cavs mess for a little bit. So I feel like the situations are really. Almost no different, but uh, like there's kind of some positive Bulls mojo rolling right now. Am I crazy for thinking this? It was like after the quote unquote mutiny that felt like rock bottom, like things weren't going to get any worse. And now, like we've got the young dudes in place. They made a pretty good trade to get Holiday off the team, open up some playing time on the wing. Uh, I'm kind of feeling okay about the Bulls right now. Oh man. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I guess just like things are, have just been so bad all season. We're like now that they, if they are healthy, I'm going to knock on wood right now. They are pretty, they are mostly healthy. Obviously Denzel's out for the season, but Bobby Portis just came back. He looked pretty good against the Nets. He was one of their few, few bright spots against the Nets. They're basically healthy now. Hopefully they stay healthy. And like, there are at least reasons to think that they could have a semi enjoyable, entertaining second half of the season. Obviously, we still want them to get Zion. We still want them to lose a bunch of games, but as long as they can give me an entertaining product and like, there are some signs of it, but part of this also, as we've mentioned, part of this involves letting them loose a little bit and letting them, letting them play, letting them play the style that they played more, a bit more against that first half against the Pacers. We just need to see them, let them rip it a little bit, let the kids loose, let them out. And then maybe things could be a little bit fun because some of these other games, like even with the healthy team, they got smoked by a bad Magic team, and they got smoked by the Nets. I know the Nets are pretty good this year, but like they've lost all, they've lost now like five home games by like under Boylan by like seventeen or more points. Like that's that's crazy. Like just getting consistently blown out at home just just can't that can't be a thing. So like this, we just want them to be competitive. We want them to be fun, and we want to see some actual development. And I think there is some reason to believe that it could happen. As long as the coach lets them loose, just let them loose a bit, man. They fucked up like everything around the margins in everything that is of, you know, moderate consequence. They've totally fucked up and that's made them look really bad from a PR perspective. But there is a chance that they did hit on the big things. Like the two most important, the three, the three big decisions they've made to set themselves up for this run was trading Jimmy Butler. That was the biggest one. Then it was that seventh pick, taking Markinen over Dennis Smith and Monk. And then it was the seventh pick last this past year, taking Carter over Sexton. I think they nailed the Carter trade. Carter is going to have a huge impact on winning when he fully matures into a player. Now, he's only going to be 19 this full season. It might take a little bit of time. But I think Wendell Carter is going to be really, really fucking good. And Markinen looks kind of great, too. And especially just in terms of like, I'm not saying Markinen's going to be like a top 10 overall player or anything. But what I do think no, he's still got a lot of room guy to... who elevates everyone else around him offensively because you have not just a shooter, 
you have like an oh shit shooter. Like if Markinen catches the ball in rhythm and takes a three, or if Markinen's squaring you up for the pull up and you're a fan of the other team, you're going, oh shit, because that's how true his release is. I think that that's also going to, you know, play into a lot of the Bulls' problems with three-point volume, a lot of their problems with spacing going forward. So that's good. Levine has talent. He has obvious strengths. He's not a great player. He's not going to be the top dog on a great team. Uh, but he also is someone who, like, he can get you a bucket and a pinch, you know, which is an important yep. guy to have on the team. And, like, every team in the NBA needs fucking wing shooters who are athletic. And he can do that. Yes, they pay him a lot of money, but... Uh, just look around the league. There's just not a lot of good two guards. There haven't been a lot of good two guards in some time. Yeah, uh, So absolutely. I do think there is a chance the Bulls could pull this off. Now, let's say they get like the fifth pick or something and they take Romeo Langford and he's like pretty good, but not great. And, you know, they're hitting like a single or a double in the draft instead of a home run. All right. Well, then we're going to have to be really patient, Jason. And maybe that's OK, because I do like that Paxson's been talking to the media more lately. Paxson, I feel like, has given more interviews uh in the last like couple weeks than he has you know in the last few years combined i like that he's being more transparent with the media when paxton's talking he's saying this is going to be a long-term rebuild we're not going to rush it you know we always get uh pissed off that paxton is such great job security but the job security does allow him to you know take more of a long-term approach with this rebuild which everyone would agree is the correct approach to take like the bulls are in their process stage right now but if you compare the two different fandoms, the Philly fans at the start of the process, at least like the cool internet Philly fans versus the cool internet Bulls fans at yeah. the start of this fucking rebuild, it's like the Philly fans were all in because they knew they could trust the front office. Us Bulls fans are so goddamn jaded that we're just like automatically assuming the Bulls are going to fuck it up because they do things like, you know, trade a second round draft pick for cash considerations because they do something like, uh, you know, keep Isaiah Cannon and Michael Carter Williams and cut uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. So, I mean, the Bulls have made Spencer a lot of Dinwiddie. fucking errors. There's no doubt about it. But man, Carter's going to be really good. Markinen looks solid. Those are the two biggest decisions they've made. Now you look at everything going on with Butler. He's starting shit with his third straight franchise. I do think that's a little bit overblown. Embiid was basically saying the same shit Butler was saying uh, a couple weeks earlier. Like, guess what? Philly's going to be a work in progress because they have a lot of uniquely talented guys to integrate in that offense. And Simmons is just a really tough, uh, you know, positional fit with, with any kind of existing star. But still, I feel like there's kind of a little bit of positive momentum going for the Bulls. And people who have followed my work and probably your work too in this podcast are going to think that's really out of character for us, but I'm starting to feel a little positive mojo, Jason. I don't know about you. I guess I've been kind of like riding like half and like, obviously things just went so bad to start the season where it just went full blown disaster. And it was just, we just had to get all the hate out and obviously just really bad. Like, I guess, I guess now we're just, it's really is just time to kind of see what we got. And you talk about being patient. We definitely do have to be patient. Uh, with a young team like it, it is hard as a fan to be patient like it's hard to sit through a lot of losses uh, I mean I, I did it with the Cubs when the Cubs tore down and took them a couple years of just really bad baseball but I was I was used to bad Cubs baseball but like they basically told us like hey we're gonna tear this all down it's gonna take a few years and then and then they came and they were and they built an elite team and won a World Series and it was and it was all worth it so like we do have to be patient I'm still like I'm still very skeptical about many parts of this but you can see 
glimmers of hope there that, that this comes together. And I'm just really hoping, like you said, that they use the second half of the season to develop some of that hope to at least go into next season with another high draft pick with hopefully like just some, some semblance of a legitimate foundation that, that, that we can really believe in moving into next year. And hopefully, like I said, hopefully the second half uh, does that for the Bulls. So it's still hard to be positive just because I feel like it's still the same people in place. Right. Like people are tweeting today about how the Bulls could sign D Rose in the offseason. Like that would be such a fucking classic Bulls move. And I do have a rule where I don't talk about Derek Rose privately or publicly. Uh, but don't do that, Bulls. That's like the last fucking thing you need in this rebuild. And it would just seem like such a Bulls move. So it's still the same people in charge. You know what I mean? And like yeah. the they most they have, like, they have a lot they have a lot to prove again to us like they, they like we we are we are skeptical like if they do it we will give them credit well we will eat all the crow that we have to eat we've we've obviously talked a lot of shit but if they if they prove it and they and they turn into a really good team they turn this around this rebuild looks we we will eat all that shit we'll gladly do it like i'd i'd rather the bulls make this rebuild work and they're really good than us be right about them having a sh- shitty front office and being absolute garbage like it's not fun to be right about something that's absolute trash. Like I'd rather be wrong and have the Bulls be good and enjoy actually watching them because watching them be terrible is not fun. Like as, 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 even if we can say, oh, we told you so, like I'd much rather watch a great, fun Bulls team and enjoy playoff Bulls basketball. Uh, we should wrap this up. Bulls have we a five-game road trip. Yeah, we'll see it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like I said, we mentioned this. At Golden State, at Utah, at Lakers, at Nuggets. Jesus, I, I mean that's that I mean that's looking like be a bloodbath. Yeah, that's looking like zero and five. We'll see if LeBron comes back. Uh, uh, he's got the groin injury. He's been out for a couple since Christmas now. I know he's. I think he's getting reevaluated this week. We'll see. Groin injuries are really tricky. So there's he's got another what, like week I think to get healthy. We'll see if LeBron's back. I'd. It almost can be kind of fun if he doesn't come back and then we just see like Bulls young core versus Lakers young core. I have some Lakers fans shitting on me all over me in my mentions right now because uh, last night when the Lakers were absolutely terrible and they lost to the Knicks the other day, I was uh, just kind of dumping on their young core because they haven't been very good, but they actually played good tonight. So now I have a bunch of angry Lakers fans yelling at me and it's kind of funny. But it would actually be kind of fun if it was Bulls, Lakers without LeBron and just like the two young cores going at each other. That'd be a lot of fun. But Besides that, yeah, like at Portland, brutal place to play. I think last year at Portland, I think CJ McCollum put up like 50 on him. Uh, obviously, the Warriors, the Warriors at Oracle. Uh, the Clay Thompson hit 14 threes earlier this year against them. The Nuggets have been one of the best teams in the league. And uh, the other one was the Jazz, right? I think they go Warriors, Jazz, possibly back to back this week. It, either way, like, this is all just really difficult games out West. I guess one. Somewhat interesting thing about this is the Bulls under Boylan. He talks about the road dog oh, no. thing. Uh, they have actually been much better on the road. At least they, they have been. They have the defense has been much better. They've kept the games closer. Outside of like that, that the Thunder game where they got blown out, where they had the fight. Like all the other blowout losses under Boylan have been at home, and they've kept like all these road games close. Like they 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 nearly beat the Raptors on the road. They beat the Spurs with a big comeback on the road. Uh, they played close to the Pacers in Boylan's first game. So, like, the road dog thing has been, like, totally legit. So, maybe they'll come out and they'll gunk it up again. And even though I don't want to see them doing that and they play them close, I don't know. I'd, I I hope it's not like that and just ugly-ass games to watch. But I guess if they try to get in running matches with some of these teams, they'll get their ass blown, their doors blown off. But 
Either way, we'll see if the road dog mentality comes with the Bulls out west. It's going to be really tough. They're staring down the barrel of possibly being 10-35 and 35 after 45 games, but uh, it'll, it'll, it'll be a kind of gut check, gut check time for this team. Like They're mostly healthy now. It's kind of time to see what starting to see what they got, and this is going to be just a huge Apple, test for suck, them. But I'm glad you drafted Mark, and I'm glad you drafted Wendell Carter because, hey, it could be worse. Imagine if they would have drafted Colin Sexton. It, it could definitely because it. I mean, geez, oh, oh then my we God. really would have some fucking ammunition. But no, man, they they made the right picks, and those were the two biggest decisions. So yeah, like. The, like you talk, the Cavs are in like a real bad like sec, I don't know if Zion Sexton's as bad as he's Cavs. shown, but like I, will I feel like there's just if Zion goes to the Cavs. Yeah, I, are you are you gonna join Bill Simmons and quit sports? I said, are you gonna join? Are you gonna uh, join Bill Simmons and quit sports if the Cavs get Zion? Has he been saying that? Oh yeah, I think he came out and said that on one of his pods like last week. It's like if the Cavs win the lottery and get Zion, he's like he's done. He's done with sports. I agree with Simmons. I'm with Bill there. Bill, call me. <laughs> Bring me on your pod. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's uh, all we got. Uh, like I said, big five-game road trip coming up. Uh, hope if you guys are still mourning the Bears, the Bulls will probably not be helping you out anytime soon, but hopefully they hopefully they play a little more enjoyable basketball the second half of the year and they have a few, a few more. Like I said, just I guess just in general, just enjoyable, bright spots. Hopefully, this more this second half of the year because right now they're on pace for like 20 wins. And while that might be great for the Zion thing, it would be nice to see have a little more fun watching the Bulls in the second half. Uh, Cody Parkey, it's not your fault because you didn't deserve to have your job in the first place. So <laughs> you should have been cut earlier. It's all right. uh, this is Cash Considerations. I'm Ricky. That's Jason. We're brought to you by the Blue Wire Network of Podcasts. Thanks for listening to us. Take it easy.